Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. fact about my guest today, I recently had the privilege of sitting down with him in front of a live audience in Bryan Park in New York City to talk about his Broadway debut in The Kite Runner. I am so honored to have Amir Arison on the podcast. He has played uh, a character on The Blacklist on NBC for nine seasons, which made him just so beloved by everyone who saw the show. Um, And when he's not acting, he is an activist for mental health issues and animal rescue and arts education. What an honor to have Amir on the podcast and to share him with you. Enjoy. My guest today is stage, TV, and film star Amir Arison. Amir has starred on nine seasons of the NBC hit series The Blacklist. Some of his other TV credits include Law & Order, Billions, Homeland, and Girls. He recently was seen in the Hulu limited series The Dropout. He's also been in films like The Visitor, I Hate Valentine's Day, Vamps, and many others. He's worked extensively off-Broadway and in regional theaters, but today, my friends, we are all gathered because this beloved star is about to make his Broadway debut this summer in an extraordinary piece of theater on Broadway called The Kite Runner. So I am so thrilled to talk with Amir today. I want to welcome Amir to Broadway Books at Bryan Park, to the Little Known Facts podcast, and welcome to Broadway, my friend. I thought it might be great. I think most of us really uh, read this book when it came out and have a really strong memory of it, which is rare for me. I read it, and then I can start reading the same book again and go, why does this seem familiar? And then I'm like, oh, I read it. Um, But this is not one of those books. I thought, rather than having Amir read from the play script, which might be a strange way to share the material, um, if you would read some passages from the source material, we can break it up into three different readings throughout our uh, chat. And then I'm going to open it up to you guys because I'm sure you have many questions for this incredible artist. So why don't you begin? And maybe if you want to introduce what you're reading, anything you'd like to say. Um, but be really close to the mic. Eat the mic. She told me to eat the mic. Yeah, I, feel I like meant this it. Um, first of all, thank you all. Uh, uh, thank you, Alana. Thank you for um, Bryant Park uh, Reading Series for having me. It's an honor to be here. And yes, uh, we're going to read a, pa- to a couple of passages from The Kite Runner. Winter used to be my favorite season in Kabul because it was the time of the kite fighting tournament. Hassan and I would always build our own kites. 
Hassan was my servant and my best friend. We'd spend hours together cutting tissue paper and shaving bamboo for the center and crossbars. Then we'd prepare our string, the glass-coated cutting line, our bullet in the chamber, ready to strike. We'd go out to the yard and feed 500 feet of string through a mixture of ground glass and glue. Now the tournament started early in the morning and didn't end until the winning kite flew in the sky. And the streets were filled with kite fighters looking up, trying to gain position to cut an opponent's line. Now the lucky kite fighters had an assistant, in my case, Hassan, who held the spool and fed the string. But the real fun began was when a kite was cut. And that is where the runners came in. They chased the falling kites through the streets until they came spiraling down. And the most coveted prize of all was the last fallen kite of the tournament. And for this, fights broke out. In the winter of 1975, the night before the tournament, it snowed heavily. The next morning, the streets were glistening white. Word had it this was going to be the biggest tournament in 25 years. I had never seen so many people on our street. Kids were flinging snowballs, chasing one another, laughing. Kite fighters were huddling with their spool holders, making last minute preparations. Already, rooftops were jammed with spectators reclining in lawn chairs, hot tea steaming from thermoses, and the music of Ahmad Zahir blaring from cassette players. I turned my gaze to our rooftop and found Boba, my father, sitting on a bench, dressed in a wool sweater, sipping tea. Boba waved but I couldn't tell if he was waving at me or Hassan. We should get started, Hassan said. Sunlight washed over his face. But suddenly I wanted to withdraw, pack it all in, go back home. What was I thinking? Why was I putting myself through this when I already knew the outcome? Baba was on the roof watching me. I felt his glare on me like the heat of a blistering sun. This would be a failure on a grand scale, even for me. Not sure I want to fly a kite today, I said. But it's a beautiful day, said Hassan. I shifted my feet, tried to peel my gaze away from our rooftop. I don't know, maybe we should go home. Then Hassan stepped toward me and in a low voice said something that scared me a little. Remember, Aga, Amir Aga, there is no monster. It's just a beautiful day. How could I be such an open book to him when half the time I didn't even know what I was thinking? I was the one who went to school, the one who could read, could write. I was supposed to be the smart one. Hassan couldn't read a first grade textbook, but he could read me plenty. That was a little unsettling, but also sort of comfortable to have someone who always knew what you needed. No monster, I said, feeling a little better. I looked at the kids scampering down the street, flinging snowballs. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Let's fly, Hassan said. Okay, let's do it. So let me ask you this, in terms of like, when did the Kite Runner as a piece of literature become something you were aware of? Did you read the book or was it when it first came out or when you were offered this project, did you get into it? So I actually was doing, uh, there was a, there was for schools, there was a one man show of the Kite Runner, which was like 40 minutes. 
uh, which was done about, I want to say like 15 to 20 years ago. And uh, two wonderful actors that are friends of mine, uh, Asif Manvi and Aryan Moayed. And uh, they needed a few emirs to go to all the schools. And sort of that's when I actually first read it. And I only read that sort of 45 minute version. I was like, wow. I was aware of, um, certainly aware of the book. I hadn't read it. I was like obsessed with reading scripts. I wasn't reading books so much. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I remember the movie came out. I, I'm making sure to not watch the movie at all before we do this play. I, I can't even remember if I saw it. I, re I can see scenes of it. Um, the play is better. I'm just going to say it. Just going to say it. Um, and uh, so when I got the audition, I uh, dove back into the book. I wasn't able to read the entire book before the audition, so I pulled out sections. And I was reading the play and going back and forth and doing research. Um, and then I reread the, in, the entire book in, in a few days. And um, I feel f sort of lucky as an actor because I sort of have like a manuscript of subtext for the character throughout. I mean, he narrates the whole thing. And I cried uh, six times reading the book. Um, and weirdly, as it's sort of an emotional story, and it's like a thriller too. It's like an emotional thriller. And although the characters are technically fictional, all the events are true. Um, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about Afghanistan since. I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. Is this a is this a job? You know, so much of what I've been talking about with theater artists, in particular in the Broadway space, is things that were happening pre-COVID, and then the whole process got shut down because of COVID, and then reignited when when we were allowed to come back in. Was the Kite Runner something that was meant to happen two years ago? Or for you, or is this no. something that has just happened now? What's the story of that? No, uh, the audition came a couple months ago and was cast, I want to say, six weeks ago, something like that, two months ago. Okay. Um, yeah. So what, right was the what was the audition process like? Um, well, I was, uh, I've been working on a series called The Blacklist uh, for a little while, and um, I was in the middle of actually quite a huge arc. Uh, on the blacklist, which involved sort of a mental health breakdown, and I was like memorizing and trying to sleep. And then, um, all right, well, some of our producers here, they don't know this. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I did theater my whole life, and then sort of started leaning into TV, and it takes everything, as you know. It takes everything. Everything. It's eight shows a week, it takes, it takes everything. Um, takes your mind, your soul, your body, your voice. Um, your life. Your life. It takes your life for that time, yeah. And uh, I had actually done a production of um, Hamlet with Arian uh, at the wa at Waterwell Theater a few years ago. And I was just so just tired. It was also during the hiatus. I was, um, just so you guys know, we've referenced Ariane a few times. If you watch Succession, he plays Stewie, just yeah. to give you a mental image. But he's also started an incredible theater company called Waterwell. Waterwell. He's, a good egg. he's really invested in um, the human condition and making really powerful work that changes people's lives. I didn't want to do the play, but yeah. he convinced me. He just he got me. He just like, come on, you want you need to do this. He like sold me on citizenry. It was amazing. Um, Anyway, I like told my manager, I was like, I need a break from plays, like to do TV here, and I'm just, I'm just, it's too much. Um, and she called me and she said, well, you know, the kite runner's coming to Broadway. I think this is something. Ah, send me the play. Send the play. Ah, oh, it's a good play. Damn, it's a good story. 
oh, the character's name is Amir. Ah, I feel like I should audition for that role. And um, I haven't done a Broadway show. There was off-Broadway shows that were going to maybe go. They didn't go. I haven't been available to do plays as much. So I didn't audition to get it. I auditioned to um, explore, if that makes sense. Like, I've been doing TV a while, and it required so much. So while I was in the middle of that arc on the blacklist, I was saying, to try to find the time and going back and forth, and I mentioned to some people, the role of Amir is he's, he makes a lot of sort of decisions that are sort of feel anthema to what you want to see in a sort of your... your in your of, hero. Your, yeah, your, yeah, your front and center. And um, it took a while for me. And then, I, of course, I was like, well, that's the challenge. This is exciting because this is hard. And, um, and I just kept uh, excavating it and sort of fell in love with the part during the audition process. So when you went in the first time, did they give you pa uh, scenes from the play, monologues? What did you have to do? Uh, two scenes. One uh, as an adult towards the back half of the play and one as the 12-year-old in the beginning of the play. And then also uh, uh, one of the monologues I had to uh, pull, yeah. And do you remember early conversations with the director about sort of the vision, the tone, what their expectation was? You know, an audition is a unique thing. You've just got to come in with um, your choices, you know. When you're a young actor, you know, strong and wrong. Just make it, just stand behind something and... And then they'll adjust you from there. Uh, he gave some wonderful notes in the callback. I just immediately liked him. Um, and uh, he's, he's British. And it's something different than I found here in America when you audition, where you usually do the, the scene or something, and then they give some, maybe ask some questions or give some notes. In the first audition, we just talked for a long time. He wants to get to know you. I mean, it's really nice, you know get to know his people, his artists. It's really um, sort of a, just a different experience. You do the audition at the end of the conversation. Um, yeah. I just realized I've been wearing my sunglasses this entire time. I am so sorry. Um, hi. Amir, have you been here this whole time? Look at you, beautiful. I didn't see you there. Um, apologies. I did not mean to be rude, friends. Um, so now you're doing the blacklist and you know that you have this part, and you have to negotiate learning everything for your TV show that you're expected to do every day and know your lines for that. Are you in your dressing room or trailer like devouring at the same time the text of the Kite Runner? And at any time did you do Kite Runner text in a blacklist scene by mistake? <laughs> did that ever happen? I will say this. Um, well, first of all, come on, actor, you get to work on TV, you're getting getting ready for a Broadway show. This is like all, you know, you can't complain about the work. Here we are. This is like the dream of dreams. I can't believe this is, you know, so there ain't no, but it's work. It's hard work. Um, I knew I was very excited when I had, an, <laughs> sorry, Blacklist. I knew I had like an exciting script to work on that I had to sort of get down. We we're going to be shooting in a couple days and, you know, I'm in bed, you know, looking at, and I kept sort of was on the. Um, my phone actually or my phone or my iPad and I kept going to iBooks and switching to the kite runner and just kept <laughs> reading and so you know it's starting to kind of bleed into your subconscious and your fantasies and, and you just kind of keep sort of thinking about it and that excitement it reminds me of when you first get a part when you're younger and you just can't stop I mean ever since I got the part from the audition really but really ever since I got the part it's just occupied my 
was a huge part of my brain space and my soul space. I want to go back to uh, little Amir or young Amir. Uh, young Amir young or Amir. Young, young Amir Younger, and, and the guy runner? Uh, the Amir that I'm sitting with right okay. now. I mean, obviously, it was all <laughs> destiny that this moment would happen. Um, I haven't done it yet. Well, One day at a time. You've done the Here reading room at Bryan Park. So One passage. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> uh, you're, you, this is your opening night. Um, Tell me when sort of, and, and we'll get to the best part and we'll end it with everyone loves the story of when someone gets the call that they got the thing. So I want to end this before uh. we go to the Q&A with that. I don't want to get to that yet, even though I'm dying to know where and who and all of that. Tell me a little bit or tell all of us a little bit about like when you fell in love with the idea of, of creating and being an artist and being an actor specifically. It's an evolution. Um, you know, we all change and grow and why you do it and how you do it and what stories you want to tell. I mean, I was 12 and I did a play in the sixth grade. And I remember being like, if I go up with my inflection on this line, I think I'll, got a la I'll get a laugh. And I got like a huge laugh in an auditorium the size of a Broadway house of all like lower school kids. And I was like, this is what I do. It was like, this is the drug of the laugh. The um, it's different now. Um, the story really matters. Really, really. It's not about the laugh. But it's, it's funny because on the blacklist, a show that is, you know, a procedural and, and dealing with very serious subject matter, you get a lot of laughs. Yeah. Like you have been able to kind of fold into your character uh, a very unique sense of humor that is very um, singular and very Amir. So clearly there's still Thank something you. about that. So nice. That Take her everywhere. Which is true. Oh God. Um, and this is Alana. And this is Alana. I'm here to tell you how great Amir and funny is. But also in, in material like The Kite Runner, I think, I think the audience is going to need little moments of... Levity. Don't put the pressure um, on. Come on. Now it's going to be like, no. I no, I mean, I think behavior and character oh, is where yeah. that will come from for sure. But but so you got a laugh. You you had a little Neil Simon in you even in that at that young age. Um, where did you grow up, by the way? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. So you're immediately like, more, more please. Did you ever do stand-up? No, I've been asked that a few times. Uh, no one's it, ever asked you that. I'm a unique host. <laughs> no one's. We're gonna please delete that from the transcript. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, I'm amazed at the art form. I didn't find myself gravitating towards writing, and stand-up really starts with writing. Um, I've gravitated towards directing, and um, but uh, it. Yeah, I like a, I like a script from someone else and trying to serve uh, that story and excavating it. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of script. Let's hear him read another passage, and then we can talk about the play some more. Awesome. Okay. Remember where we were? We're going right from there. Hassan lifted our kite. It was red with yellow borders. He licked his fingers and held it up and tested the wind, then ran in its direction. The spool rolled in my hands until Hassan stopped about 50 feet away. He held the kite over his head like an Olympic athlete showing his gold medal. I jerked the string twice, our usual sign, and Hassan tossed the kite. Then the kite was rocketing toward the sky. It made a sound like a paper bird flapping its wings. Hassan clapped his hands, whistled, and ran back to me. I handed him the spool and loose string. 
At least two dozen kites were already up there like paper sharks roaming for prey. Within an hour, the number doubled. Red, blue, and yellow kites glided and spun past each other. A cold breeze wafted through my hair. Next to me, Hassan's hands were already bloodied by the glass-coated string. And soon, the cutting started. And the first of the losing kites whirled out of control. They fell from the sky like shooting stars with brilliant, rippling tails showering the neighborhoods below with prizes for the kite runners. I could hear them now hollering as they ran the streets. Over the next hour, I kept stealing glances over at Baba sitting on the roof, wondering, what was he thinking? Was he cheering for me? Or did a part of him enjoy watching me fail? That was the thing about kite flying. Your mind drifted with the kite. Was Baba surprised I had lasted as long as I had? You don't keep your eyes on the sky, Amir! You won't last much longer! I snapped my gaze back to the sky. A red kite was closing in on mine. I caught it just in time. I tangled with it a bit and ended up besting him when he became impatient. And I tried and cut him from below. Kites were coming down from all over the place, up and down the streets. Kite runners were returning triumphantly. Their captured kites held high. They showed them off to their parents and their friends, but they all knew the best was yet to come. The biggest prize of all was still in the sky. I sliced a bright yellow kite with a white tail. It cost me another gash on my finger and blood trickled down into my palm. Within the hour, the number of kites dwindled from 50 to a dozen, and I was still flying. I had made it to the last dozen. I knew this part of the tournament would take a while because the guys who had lasted this long were good. They wouldn't fall into simple traps like the old lift and dive, Hassan's favorite trick. Hours passed. By three o'clock that afternoon, clouds had drifted in and the sun slipped behind them. Shadows started to lengthen. We were down to half a dozen. My legs ached, my neck was stiff, but with each defeated kite, hope grew in my heart. Like snow collecting on a wall, one flake at a time. My eyes kept returning to that blue kite that had been wrecking havoc for a while now. How many has he cut? I asked Hassan. I count 11, he said. Then the blue kite sliced a big purple one and swept the sky in a series of large loops. Ten minutes later, he'd cut two more, sending hordes of kite runners racing after them. After another 30 minutes, only four kites remained. It seemed I could hardly make a wrong move, as if every gust of wind blew in my favor. I had never felt so control, in control of anything in my life. I didn't dare look up at Baba on the roof, didn't tear take my eyes off the sky. I had to concentrate, play it smart. Another 15 minutes in what had seemed like a laughable dream that morning had suddenly become reality. It was just me and the blue kite. We were down to the final two and I was one of them. The tension in the air was as taut as the glass string I was tugging on with my bloody hands. People were stomping their feet, clapping, whistling, chanting, Boboresh, 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 cut him, cut him. I wondered if Baba's voice was among them. Music blasted, but all I could hear was the thudding of the blood in my head. All I saw was the blue kite. I smelled victory, salvation, redemption. I didn't know what the other guy was playing for, maybe just bragging rights, but this was my one chance to cut loose my pain, my longing. I'd endured too much and come too far. Then a gust of wind lifted my kite and I took advantage. I fed the string pulled up, looped my kite on top of the blue one, and held position. The blue kite knew he was in trouble. 
He was trying desperately to maneuver out of the jam, but I didn't let him go. The crowd sensed the end was near. The chorus of, cut him, cut him, cut him, grew louder, like Romans chanting for the gladiators to kill, kill. You're almost there, Miraga, almost there, Hassan shouted. Then the moment came. I closed my eyes and loosened my grip. The string sliced my fingers, and then... I didn't need to hear the crowd's roar to know. Hassan was screaming, and his arms were wrapped around my neck. Bravo, Miraga, bravo! I opened my eyes and saw the blue kite spinning out of control. Then I was screaming and throwing my arms around Hassan. We were both jumping up and down, laughing and crying. You won, Miraga, you won! No, Hassan, we won! We won was all I could say. Then I saw Baba on a roof. He was standing on the edge, pumping both his fists in the air, hollering and clapping. And that, right here, was the single greatest moment of my 12 years of life, seeing Baba on that roof, proud of me at last. But I turned back to Hassan because we weren't done. I know, he said, as if reading my thoughts. We'll celebrate later. Right now, I am going to run that blue kite for you. Then he took off running. I hollered after him. Come back with it, Hassan! He stopped and turned. For you? A thousand times over, he said. Then he smiled his Hassan smile and disappeared around the corner. Can I ask you, how do you feel right now? Like when you read that, what's going on inside of you? It's, um, just have to ride the wave. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfectly written. So I just feel, um, here I'm having fun at a kite tournament. Yeah, and it takes you and it takes all of us. When you auditioned and started having conversations, I assume the same actors are playing young Amir and young Hassan and adult, right? I mean, it's, it is just you. You will be playing these scenes. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about what the structure is in terms of the play? I know our director, Giles Croft, when he started working with Matt Spangler, one of his ideas and notes was that uh, the role of Amir was sort of separated originally in two. It was the narrator who was telling the story and then young Amir. Uh -huh. And it was his idea to um, have them be the same the same actor um, and so that's the wonderful thing about theater you can't really do that in a movie um, you can do it in a novel where you can have a, a grown man go and play a 12 year old um, and so that's obviously one of the draws it's like really exciting as an actor to kind of find you know I was thinking about the movie Big today and Tom <laughs> Hanks played a 13 year old I'm not going to do that but maybe a little but, um, there is ding, a ding, precedent ding, for ding, such ding, thing ding, 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 yeah ding, ding, exactly um <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, but Levity. also, yeah. there, there's a unique thing in the play, which kind of, you can sort of see in the reading where, um, it's sort of, in the play, it exists as kind of like a time memory play, where the past and the present kind of, kind of dance a little bit, and towards the end, they really merge. So, you know, I'll, I'll be working with, I just met him, he's so sweet, the, the guy playing Hassan, Eric, he's so perfect. And, um, you know, we'll have a scene, as 12-year-olds, and then I, in between the next scene, I'll step out and narrate as an adult where I am with that memory. Um, so it's that duality that is um, 
challenging and exciting. So obviously Afghanistan has been through so much uh, since this book was written and in really recent history. Um, why do you think it's really important, because it is, that this play happen right now? Um, well, credit to the producers for doing this now. Um, look, there, there are two things that happen to the play that I feel, you know, this play was written, the book was written in 2003. It starts in 1975 and carries through to 2001. Um, in 1978 um, was when the Soviet army invaded Afghanistan. Um, they were already in a civil war. Um, uh, the president was executed and um, they were Soviet occupied for, as many of us know, for a long time. As we all know, there is an invasion going on on the other side of the world. Um, also, as many know, we pulled out of Afghanistan the character of Amir and his father Baba have to flee Afghanistan as refugees. There's countless refugees happening. We cannot forget in Afghanistan, there's people that can't get out. And, um, and Amir, look, I don't want to uh, get political at all. How can you not with theater? But the character of Amir sort of leaves with his tail between his legs. Um, and he looks forward to kind of coming to America and getting a restart on his life. He has quite a bit of shame. Look, we just left. Um, it's not any better over there. So, I, I, you know, the play is in the personal, but the macro is, is very clear. And um, it's a good time to do this play to remind everyone. It is so incredibly timely. It is such a sort of love letter to the human condition and experience and second chances and uh, the ability to heal. I, I also, you know, in, in getting ready for today, ended up deep diving in the rabbit hole of research, the, the author of the original source material. And it, it slayed me to know that he was a full-time physician. Yeah. And then in the morning got up and wrote for a few hours. And it really makes me see that I could be doing more with my day because um, uh, it's just extraordinary. Um, I want to open up questions to you guys if you have any. There are people with microphones, Susie and great. Hi, uh, I'm Leah Fahim. I'm really, really happy to be here. Um, Hi. And beautiful reading, by the way. So my question for you is, obviously you talked about doing some really like mentally taxing roles, and obviously this one is an extremely mentally taxing role, and I wanted to know your process as an actor and representing this character in these stories and how you dealt with that. Still figuring it out. Um, you start with um, the physical. Watch what you put in your body. Watch the energy you take in, whether it be noise, social media. Um, start simple. Stretch every morning. Meditate when you can. Maybe pray now and then. Um, try to take care of the voice. So start there. So your body supports you. Um, and, you know, theater is a cool thing. Uh, because whatever's going on in your day, I learned this in my first off-Broadway play, Teresa Rebeck play, Omnium Gatherum, Teresa Rebeck, Alexander Gersten Vassilados. Um, oh my God. That whatever's going on in your day, huh. 
uh, you got to leave it when you enter. And then there's a very cathartic thing that can happen or that the play can sort of heal your day. Um, and, you know, there's a big, thi- big story. There's a big theme in this book uh, of forgiveness and forgiving yourself. We're like hardest on ourselves, you know. So to be sure, I wonder what happens that night. I wonder what happens in rehearsal. I said it earlier, how lucky we are to be here. How lucky am I to get to work on a Broadway show? Um, to just stay kind to yourself. Um, when you go through things, allow them, uh, just allow them to pass through you. Uh, you know, each day is different. It's a good question, and every day I, I think about that question, and I um, um, preparation is also very key. You prepare, so you can just trust your preparation, and you try to be present. Um, there's, another, there's one more thing I want to say. I did a play about Iraqi refugees called Aftermath at New York Theater Workshop with Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, and I was playing a real guy, a real guy from Iraq who was, um, and I remember like whatever was going on my, in my life, I was like, well, this guy is like, just had to flee war and flee his family. And so it was a real guy. So there was honor in that. Although these characters aren't real, it's really happening. So there's, it doesn't, you know, it's not for me. And when you get outside of yourself, that's really helpful as an actor. You know, you know oh, what, what am, I, am I doing enough? Da, 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 da. Make it about your scene partner. Make it about the story. And then trust in that. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I'm wondering if you have been to Afghanistan or that area of the world, um, and if not, or even if you did, um, what sort of research you did about that place and culture and how that played into you preparing for the role and then performing as well? Great question. Um, I have not been to Afghanistan. Um, Fortunately, it's not recommended for Americans to go to Afghanistan now. Um, A few things. The first call I made was to Humaira Gilzai. She's an Afghan-American woman. I did not know. I called her for to work on accent and to talk about it. Uh, real quick, 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, I did a, um, an Ayad Akhtar play at uh, La Jolla, and she was the, we became friends because she was the Afghan consultant on that. And um, uh, we, we remained friends. And then I played, um, I did a, a Robin Williams movie where I, I played an Afghan who doesn't speak any English. And I called her and she helped me with that. So I called her to talk ab- uh, about it. And I know she knows Khaled, not knowing that she was hired to be the cultural consultant for the play. <laughs> it was a good call. <laughs> and, um, you know, we talked about it all. Um, she has prepared a packet, which she's going to send to the cast, of a short history of Afghanistan, which I like devoured. Um, and she has different recommendations of things. Um, but the most helpful thing for me was uh, it was recent. This dropped me in. I'll tell you. I sp- I I wanted to speak to because I've been working with Humaira on language and accent a little bit. But I wanted to speak to um, uh, a man who. And, um, and a young man. And um, she got in touch with, for me, uh, a guy who had served as a translator in the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. And as a result, he was able to get a visa to come here because of his work with, uh, with the U.S. And we get on the phone. Oh, my God, what a sweetheart he was. And I had been working like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And here he's just like, blah, blah. You know, so I was like, oh, I felt like I had the two, just two sounds and two energies. And, and I said, oh, are you, uh, 
um, how's it going? How he's, I, you know, I've been here nine years. You know, I'm studying. Um, and he's like perfect English and perfect Dari, which is what they speak in in this play in Afghanistan. And uh, I said, oh, is your family here? No, no, they they're in Afghanistan. Can you bring them over? There's a special visa that I can apply to bring my parents over, but they can't leave because then my two sisters will be alone and they're not married. So they have to stay there to protect them. That was, that was it. So just like, that was it. So that more than any research was just talking to uh, that guy. So he's in, my, in me a lot too. Wow. Thank you for that question. Um, I want to just, I really want to hear the, there, there are so many no's in, in the life of an artist, uh, and there are such sweet moments where the thing we really wanted uh, comes our way before the fear sets in, before the doubt, before the, oh my God, now I have to do it. Um, can you just share with us how you found out you got the role of Amir in The Kite Runner? Um, and say it really close to the mic. Sure, mark. sure. Um, so, uh, so I had two auditions. I had an audition and a callback. And as I mentioned earlier, it was hard to kind of sort of get into it with everything that was going on. And I personally, you know, we had produced. I personally thought I tanked the first audition. I really, I thought I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I did my best. And the only thing we can control in an audition, is, the only thing we can control in an audition is how much we prepare. You can't control how it's going to go, what they're going to say. And did I prepare enough? Am I, am I too busy with the blacklist? And just things out of my control. I was just being hard on myself, as we talked about. Um, and is the first theater audition I've done over Zoom. So I was like trying to stand up and you're trying to, and then I could see myself pinned. And I was like, you know, and then I'm like upset. And I'm like looking in the Zoom. I'm like, what the F am I doing? Like, I don't know. Like, what is a theater audition over Zoom? Um, and afterwards, I apologized to my manager. I was like, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I thank you for the appointment. I, I let you down. I didn't do my best. And I threw away the sides. A week later, I got a call back and I laughed so hard. I was like, are you joking? She's like, no, they want to see you again. Cool. Uh, really? So I, and now there's a beautiful thing about acting. If you can, it, 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 you leave it alone. Like I didn't think about the play for a week. I tried to forget about it. I went back into my recycling. I pulled out, I still have the same recycling for the week. Pulled out recycling, I pulled out my audition site. I remember I was like, why didn't I have a good time? Or why didn't I feel I did my best? And I was unpacking it and just worked on it again. There's just a few things, but I also was like, forget Zoom. Just do it, forget theater audition. Just do a table read at a Zoom. Just, just like this, just, just, just be with the material. So I released all that and I trust the prep I had done. And, and it was in the callback that I discovered my love for the role. Because I think I was having, a, I was, I'm mad at Amir in the play and I had to love Amir. Not judge him. Yeah, and maybe that was the thing in my mind. Maybe yeah. it didn't come across, but in my mind. And so, uh, and so I finished the audition and I just felt like released. Like I just took a creative crap. Like I released it. <laughs> okay, bad, bad metaphor. So, <laughs> terrible metaphor. No laugh until after. Okay, so I, I, and I just felt better for me. And again, I wasn't auditioning for the part. I was auditioning 
to do the audition and actually, you know, I've been working on TV. I didn't get to work on this mine, this much material. There's a lot to mine in the show, but I mean, literally just the volume of material. And it was an hour after that I was like, I think I might've given myself a chance to get this. It felt great. I was like, I think I, I, maybe I'll get this. And I didn't think about it. And that was it. I just felt better because I, I did my best. Um, and uh, day goes by, was, that was a Wednesday, and then I was, a, I, was a, a, I was at work. And I got a text uh, from my manager, you're getting the kite runner. I was like, and I was at work, I had to go shoot a scene, and I couldn't talk about it, I was like. So, so I actually called my assistant, uh, who's also my friend, uh, Isabel, she's here, she's in the back, because I didn't know, I had to call someone. <laughs> but I couldn't talk about it on set, I was like. Ah. So I went to a corner, I was like, Isabel! Because she read the scenes with me, I was like. Okay, I gotta go do a scene. And what was funny is the scene we were doing at Blacklist, we'd already shot it one way, but when we turned around, I felt like my energy was totally different. <laughs> so I was like, you come on now. And then uh, and we got it. And the it was editor it. was like, what's happening? Yeah, like, two right. different characters. Like, no. Uh, yeah, that, that was the story. Yeah. How lucky are they to have you? And how lucky are we that we're going to get to see you? And and thank you to the uh, the producers and the creatives who are bringing this unbelievably timely and important and beautiful and community building play to Broadway at a time where we need it so desperately. So to the producers in the back, bravo. To all of you for being here today and celebrating art and community together in the greatest city in the world. Thank you for being here. There are many more of these, so stop by when you're in the area. And Amir, thank you for your time and your passion and your talent and your beautiful soul. And I know you haven't even started rehearsal yet, so it's all like some idea about what it's gonna be, but I bet there are many of the words already in your head so that you are ready on day one. Trying. 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 Isabel, is that her name? Yeah, Isabel, Isabel runs lines with me. There's a lot of lines to learn. Oh, there's yeah. going to be a lot of stuff to work on. Um, bravo, congratulations, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Brian Park. Thank you to the reading room. Have a really beautiful day, everybody. And, and let's all go take a walk. One more thing, I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to John Zaytoon, who is the talent coordinator for this episode. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts social media intern is Sophia Rosenbaum. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.